0: Romans 15. I've got eight pages of notes. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm in no hurry. I don't know about you, but anyway, Romans 15, if you will. Uh, Romans 15. We're coming to a new chapter, but yet the closing section of this sixth section on our reasonable service and on our... uh, that of, of chapter 14, the, the issue of the, weak, the relationship between the weak believer and the strong believer. And if you will look here, verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ blessed not, I'm sorry, pleased not himself, But as it was written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father our Lord Jesus Christ." Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And again, that, a lot going on there, and we'll dissect it out over the coming weeks and so forth. But we have to remember here where we're at as we start verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The context is fourteen one. <clears throat> And I will apologize now if I have to clear my throat. Uh, just, I've been on antibiotics, and the stuff's decided today of all days to drain. Yesterday was no drain. Today is like just a flood going on back there. So it's a, uh, anyway, 14.1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. And again, we're here talking about the weak in the faith not weak in character, not weak morality-wise, not weak in attitude or, or any of that. The issue here is that they are the, the weak in the faith are those who haven't built up into their inner man yet an understanding of, of grace, the grace life, the, and then applying that to the details of life. They haven't—we looked last time about the issue of liberty— we're going to go back into First Corinthians eight a little bit more today, and First Corinthians ten. Hopefully this morning, if not today, then next week. But that issue of they—they ha- they don't quite have that understanding of liberty and and the that that cap- that capability, the capacity of liberty. They're either on one extreme of I'm free, I can go do whatever I want, I, you know. No worry about impact on consequences or anybody. I'm just free to go do. Or they're so worried about their liberty, scared of it, afraid of it, that they would want the legalistic do's and don'ts given to them. Preacher, just tell me what to do or not do. Well, you're free. Well, but still, uh uh-uh. No, I need. Well, then, so that's the weak in the faith here. Again, I look around the room we're all at different levels of understanding, okay? We're all at different levels of development, of edification, of growth, of maturity. And we need to recognize that we're not all on the same page, level-wise, we're at different levels. And so Paul then places the responsibility in this relationship on the shoulders of the stronger believer. Because a stronger believer should have Developed into them the capacity to identify, be able to identify the spiritual conditions of others around them, and then to respond appropriately, have the proper response. And when Paul calls on the stronger, again, those who have the spiritual understanding, those who understand, we're talking here in chapter 14 about eating and drinking, 1 Corinthians 8, eating and drinking. But eating and drinking what? Not down at Chili's. We're just talking about chilies. You know, I got to have my, you know, whatevers. He's talking about eating and drinking stuff offered to idols. They've come, the weak have come out of a of a religious system. You're doing something that reminds them of that system. They don't understand the liberty to do it. So then when you look at it, what are you to do? as Don't do it. Let's wait a minute until what? Until hopefully one day the weaker become the what? The strong. And then what can we do? Then we can resume that wonderful exercise of liberty in whatever the area may be. Paul says, you stronger ones, you who have built up in the realm of your inner man, the proper understanding of liberty, the proper understanding of the grace doctrines applied to the details of life, it then is your responsibility to answer, to respond properly in Christ. Come over to Galatians 5, two verses we're very familiar with. When you talk about liberty, <clears throat> Galatians 5, verse 1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and again, that's the danger, I, you know. When when God gave man volition, liberty, freedom of choice, he in freedom and in choice and in liberty there is an inherent risk of them not doing what you think they ought to do. What did God do when he gave the angelic realm volition, make a choice? Okay, what did he he took a risk, didn't he? When Lucifer, the anointed cherub, the cherub that covereth developed and went out and sold his I will plan what did the angelic people what did the angels out there the angelic realm have they had a choice to follow what Lucifer the new plan or God's word they made the choice now God said I'll fix your little red wagons and we'll create hell and we'll take care of it but then what did he do with man he gave man the same choice And when you do that, but what did God know? He says, well, man can either say yes to my word or no. He's going to say no, so this is what we're going to do. And we got the answer for him down at Calvary and so forth. And he had the plan worked out. But the thing is, is the reason that God gave creation volition is he doesn't want a creation that worships him because of being a robot or just being dictated to. You will do this. He wants a creation that willingly, deliberately chooses to worship and love and honor and glorify Him. He, that's what He's looking for. That's why He'll say to Israel time and time again, I didn't really want your sacrifices. I wanted your heart. I really didn't care about that. I wanted you to think this way. See? And that's what Paul's getting at. By the way, 51. one and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage, that's the most—that's the law, the legalistic program. If you look back there at chapter 4, verse 9, uh, verse 8, Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be, and bondage he observed days and months and times and years. So in Romans 14, when he goes back into, and he says, one observes a day to the Lord and the other one doesn't, where are we at? We're, we're, we're coming out of that religious system, see? And we got this hole back here, and you know what he calls it? He calls that law system weak and beggarly. I mean, that's bondage. Now, come over to chapter 5, verse 13, Galatians. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So what do we have? We have liberty, tell me what to do, preacher, give me the do's and don'ts. Or we have liberty for the occasion of the flesh. We have that pendulum. What are we to do? Well, we're to use our liberty, but by love serve one another. So when you come back to Romans 15, that's where Paul Paul is at here as he's been dealing with the relationship between the weak and the strong. And it's on the shoulders of the strong. Now, he doesn't let the weak off the hook. They don't have a right to demand and do. But as the stronger believer, what would you do? You, you are to respond properly. And now that's what he's going to deal with in starting in 15.1 through verse 7. And he's going to deal with this issue the issue in the final section here is the issue of forbearance. And you see it in verse 1. We then that are strong ought to what? Bear the infirmities. And there's an issue here that he's going to talk now to the strong. The strong in the faith. The stronger believer. And he says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to bear the infirmities. So to bear it, to, to bear it. To bear it is to endure it. It's to tolerate it, right? That's what we usually think about. But here, Paul is actually going a little deeper than that. There's more to it here. Yet, we are to endure the wrong of the offense. We're not just to put up with them all here, you know, here Rick comes again. Got to quick, put the hamburger away, you know. It isn't that. It's now you. He, the weak, they have offended you stronger. That's going to be the infirmity, so we'll get there in just a second, okay? <laughs> or a couple minutes. We are patiently, we are to bear, we are to... Patiently withhold any thought of retaliation against the weak. 14.1. We're to receive him that is weak in, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. We're bearing. We yes, we are to endure. Yes, we're gonna forbear Yes, we're gonna we're gonna carry the load. But it gets critical to understand here that if the weak offend you. Criticize the strong, reject the strong, condemn the strong. Because sometimes the weak do that. They don't have the understanding. So here you know, so here you are doing something. You have no idea it's offending them. And what do they do? They come down on you like a ton of bricks. Now, they're not supposed to do that, but they don't know. Okay? So then what happens when they come on you, down, you know, dump on you, you know, the dump truck loads? Well, then what are you going to do? You're to bear it. You're to endure it. You're to hold back any thought of getting even with them. You have no rights to lash out. Rather, we're to patiently work through it and deal with it. Now, you may say, but yeah, but I have the right. Yeah, you do have the right. You do have liberty. But what do you have the liberty to do? Not exercise your liberty. You see, so we're getting more, a little deeper here than just put up with it. You know, ah, here he comes. I'll just put him over there in the corner and give him a, you know, a, 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 a sweet tea and let, leave him be. No, we're going to, there's more to it. 15, 1. To bear. What is the stronger to do? What's the stronger believer to do? We then that are strong ought to bear. If you go back in chapter 14 where we were last time, verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou, how? Not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. The stronger understands the liberty that we have. The stronger in the faith. What do we understand? We understand that we have right. We can eat anything. We understand, look at 1417. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What do we understand about the kingdom of God? God is not interested in what you're eating. He's not interested in what you're drinking. What's he interested in? Righteousness, joy and peace, inner man stuff. The Lord tells the apostles, I'm going to sit with you in the kingdom and we're going to eat and drink. Paul says the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. In a minute, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians where paul says when you do eat and drink would you make up your mind what is it it's all of it see what does the strong believe what does the stronger know the issue isn't the physical piece of meat or item or drink it's rather the spiritual edification going on in the inner man that's why he says but righteousness peace and joy where in the Holy Ghost the great teacher the great comforter there he is actually in chapter 15 if you look down at verse 13 now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost think about that so the weak doesn't have on board quite yet what's to do they haven't developed the confidence of their liberty they they still holding on to some of that old baggage we like to call it. And yet, what is the strong to do? Well, fourteen twenty, if you look there real quick, for meat destroy not the work of God. See, isn't that interesting? Don't destroy. Don't we looked last time, don't wound. Don't cause a stumbling block. Cause them to fall or perish. What's the weak to do? Verse 15, verse 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. If the weak don't, if the weak doesn't understand, weak in the faith, doesn't understand the issue of liberty, and that then requires you, the stronger, to not be able to exercise your liberty that's what the infirmity is here. The infirmity isn't, you know, a quick stick to the head and, oh, I got a gash. The infirmity here is not being able to exercise my liberty because if I do that, what's it going to do? It's going to negatively impact the weak in the faith. You follow that? So we're talking very specific. We're not talking, I told you last time, we're not talking about, well, I'm a vegetarian because my doctor and my diet need to be that. See, so we're not talking about what you're actually eating. We're talking about the attitudes, the actions. Because in a minute, in verse 3, the Lord Paul's going to invoke the crosswork of Calvary and the great illustration of what it is to give up your rights for others christ at calvary who was he he's god what did he do he said i'm not i'm not gonna i'm gonna give up that right of of claiming god and i'm gonna become a man and i'm gonna humble myself to the obedience of death now he didn't lose who he was but what did he decide to do well i'm ahead of myself big time so the infirmity here the infirmity is going, look, look at the end of verse 1, and not to please who? Ourselves. Who are we to be pleasing then? The weak. You see, if I'm going to please the, if I'm going to help the weak, if I'm going to please the weak, then what do I have to do? I can't make a claim of, I have a right to eat that bacon on that hamburger. When the weak think the bacon is not what you're supposed to be eating based on Leviticus. You know, the dietary laws of the Old Testament. What do you mean I can't have my spiral ham at Christmas time? You know, phew. well, I'm having one. Honey baked ham. Y'all come on over, okay? <laughs> but see, the thing is, is you, that's, uh, you know, when, what, what am I to do then? I'm to forego my liberty. I'm to look at that and say, you know what, I can eat that next week. I can wait next year. I can come along over here. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be the, the reason for. The weaker brother to fall, to stumble, to perish, to wound, be wounded. I have my brother's spiritual condition on my heart. So I'm not going to eat. Or drink over to first corinthians 8 we were here last time just catch this as we move into this so the infirmity is i don't get to enjoy my liberty and you know what that's okay that's fine because i'm my i have the proper mindset and, and i wonder what happens people hear that and they'll say well you know you you know you shouldn't give up your right no i i No one has the right to give up their liberty, but we do have the liberty to give up our rights. We can do that. And that's what Paul's after. And actually what's going to end up happening here, if we have the time this morning, we'll see it, is there's going to be an issue of how do we glorify God. And you know how we glorify God? We give up that right for the betterment of someone else. Very interesting. 1 Corinthians 8. So the infirmity, we ought to bear the infirmity of the weak. The infirmity isn't, again, you know, 108 fever and in the hospital. The infirmity is, as a stronger believer, I decided to give up, I've chosen to give up my rights for the betterment of the conscience of the weak so that they can grow, they can be spiritually edified. Okay? Okay. 1 Corinthians 8, here again, we looked at this last time, just catch the idea, verse 8, but meat committeth us not to God, for neither, if we eat, are we the better, neither, if we eat not, are we the worse. I'm going to tell you what, folks, God cares less what you eat. Now, your doctor and your family might be different, but God doesn't care. He doesn't have a dietary restriction. Now, that doesn't mean go eat donuts and, you know, all that, <laughs> okay, okay. Well maybe it does I'll put my 60 pounds back on quick I think. okay you know a little a little uh, a little discernment, a little uh, of uh, discretion there. but what do we know spiritually? we know that to us there's but one God okay we're good. Now watch verse nine but take heed. see that take heed. Now we're in 15-1 territory. take heed here. pay attention. Be careful, see, take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, what is the stronger? We ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves, but we're looking at them, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For, again, we can eat, for any man see that which hath knowledge, if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Think about that. Here you are. You're sitting down to a big bacon baconator from Wendy's, and you're with a, the, you know, with a brother or sister in Christ, and they look over, and they, they don't understand you can have the baconator. You're eating it. What are they gonna? Well, shoot, if he's eating it, I can eat it. Now they're eating out of a lack of knowledge. And that's bad. That's not good. They should be eating from a what? A place of knowledge. That's what he's getting at. You're sitting over there in the idol's temple, you're down at the restaurant, you're at Chili's. Instead of eating in the restaurant side, you're sitting up at you bellied up to the bar. Can you do that? Sure. I've done it. Oh, no, the preacher's eating at the bar. Oh, my goodness. Why? Because there ain't no other place else to sit in a restaurant. Lady goes me I'll say, shoot, I'll sit at the bar. The barmaid, the bar, barmaid, bartender comes over and says, hey, you know, what can I get you? And I'm like, I'll have a, a sweet tea and a hamburger. And she's like, oh, is that it? And yeah, like, yeah, that's it. That's the only place to sit, you know. But. But what happens in with people who don't understand you have the liberty to do that? Oh, Pastor Rick was in the bar. Did you see him? I was at Chili's. You know, I wasn't at you know Bud Sud's down there. Come on, you know, we sack it. You know. You you've heard of the mortuary, right? You stab them, we slab them, Bill's mortuary. I mean, come on. No. Oh, you guys are. Man, I gotta. I need to bring out a few more of these. You know I, no, no, please don't. It's like I, I looked at Linda the other day and I said, "You know, you need to embrace all your mistakes." So she gave me a hug. <laughs> See, now I got you, right? Yeah, there you go. OK? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now I redeem myself. there you go. OK. Verse 10, We're to be mindful of the weak we to bear the infirmities. You don't have to exercise your rights. We have, and, and, and where that comes from is really a deep love, interest in bringing the weak in the faith through that edification process that then gets them to the point of no longer being weak in that area, but being strong. Verse 11, And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. This is very serious in the mind of Christ. Now again, the sin here is what? Wounding the, doing what the weak, doing something that's gonna hurt the weak. It isn't out here robbing banks, stealing cards and all that good stuff, okay? Bad stuff, sorry, it's not good stuff, it's bad stuff. He's talking about in the context, what are you doing? You're doing something that is impacting negatively another believer. Verse 13. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no... Now watch 15.1 come out of the mouth of Paul. I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. I'm going to bear the infirmity... Of giving up my lot my right, my liberty to sit down and eat that baconator. Okay? So that I don't hurt the weak. That's what fifteen one's about. Now come over to chapter ten. Chapter ten. You see what's happening here. First Corinthians ten. The section starts in verse 23, so let's read there real quick. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things what? Edify not. That's what the weak says. All things are lawful for me, so I'm belling up to the trough and just eating and have no idea why. He says, What? No. All things are lawful for me. Yeah, as a strong believer, I understand that they are, but what? But not all things edify, so I'm to be on guard. Come, da- drop down to verse 29. Watch this conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. The conscience, the conscience is a part of your, uh, of your soul, of your inner man, that accuses or excuses your activity. Romans 2. He comes in, and it, your conscience says that activity is matching the word of God. You're good to go. That activity is not. So now we have a guilty conscience. Now we have a uh-oh. We're not. What's the standard? The word of God. You, you all know that. If you if I look around the room, and all of us came from the old school of parenting. You know, I got a flat spot in the back of my head from my parents. Whack! Get over here. Whack! I say that and out of seriousness, but jesting as well. But what happens? You're over here doing something, mom and dad aren't around, and it doesn't match what mom and dad have taught you. How do you feel? You're like, I shouldn't have done that. See? Conscience, not, your, not thine, not yours, but who? The other. For why is my... Look at this. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? What a great question... The stronger saying this, why am I having to give up my... Now think about who Paul's writing to, first of all, by the way. The Corinthians. Weak, babes, carnal. And he's sitting there going, why do I have to give up my rights for a bunch of carnal, weak, just no no good dirty rotten saints over here? Because they are saints. Why do I have to do that for them? All they've done to Paul is accuse him, ignored him, abused him. Won't help him. I mean, you go read what these guys, they look at him and say, you're contemptible. Your, your letters are weighty, but, man, you're just ugly looking, dude. Man, you know, take a shower or something. Now, I'm, okay? They didn't have cosmic surgery back there to fix. I mean, you read 2 Corinthians 11 and what he went through, physical, the beatings. No wonder he was tough to look at. But then Apollo shows up eloquent, you know, and, ooh, there we go. Now we got the guy. And he's like, why am I giving up my liberty, my rights, for them? Now we're back in what he's talking about in chapter 15 of Romans. What can the weak do? The weak can come in and condemn you, argue, you know, not make life Israel, demand things of you. Keep reading verse 34. If I, by grace, and there it is, be a partaker, Why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Look, note again, Romans 14, don't let your good be evil spoken of. Here he is, he's doing, Paul's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's the stronger believer, and what are they doing? They're just speaking evil about him. They're hating on him. They look at him and they say, we need evidence of Christ speaking in you. We don't believe you, what you're saying. So he spends a majority of 2 Corinthians producing the evidence. Verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, oh, do all to the glory of God. Isn't that interesting? What did he just say? Verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink. Now wait a minute. Romans 14 said what? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking? (laughs) Right? And now Paul's saying, whether you, Whatever you eat or drink, okay? And again, he is not talking about the physical food, the physical drink. Rather, he's talking about the mental attitude you're having in the moment. How does, what is your conscience internal saying here? Verse twenty nine, not yours but theirs. You're trying not to wound their weak conscience. First Corinthians eight. You're trying to be on. You're trying to do that. You're trying to do what's right, and all they're doing is hammering away at you. So what does he say? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So now the question is, all right, how is he glorified? He's not glorified by you not eating a baconator. He's not glorified by you belling up to a chef salad. He's not glorified by you coming over here and not going to the pork shop and getting the pan, you know. He's not. That's not how he's glorified. Whatever you do. Verse, look at verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do. He's glorified in the proper exercise of your liberty. He's glorified because of the attitude and the actions of that you're taking of who you are in Christ, and you understand what the doctrines are, and doctrines learned, and you're taking that doctrine and you're applying it. What can we eat? Anything. Okay. I know that. So what can I do? I can go to Wendy's. I can get the Baconator. What is that number two on the menu? They know the numbers, you know. Don't get the single patty. Got to get the double patty because got to make it worth your while. I mean, it's already twenty bucks now, so you might as well make it worth it, you know. And what do you do? You sit there and you, you know. And then somebody goes, "Ooh, I saw you over there at that other woman's house." What? What? I saw you at Wendy's. I didn't know it was another woman. <laughs> okay. But what are they? They're just trying to get you, aren't they? And you're sitting there going, hang on a minute. How am I going to glorify God here? Verse 32, give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men and all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. The salvation there is not justification. The salvation is in the weak that they're no longer weak. They're now moving into the stronger camp. It's an interesting thing here about this issue of glorifying God. How do I glorify God? What am I going to do? I'm going to have that proper response, which is going to require me to have the proper attitude and, and thinking. Come over to Philippians 1. This is something that goes, you know, we think about glorifying God in many different ways. I hope you do. But where Paul is dealing here with this relationship, Philippians 1, when we don't impose our liberty on the weak, we glorify God. Okay? Philippians 1, if you look there at verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. So who are they by? The fruits of righteousness are who by, by who? Jesus Christ. Unto the glory and the praise of God. So we're going to glorify God when we have the actions and the attitudes of verse 9 and 10. What are we doing in verse 9? That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That's a mental attitude. That's a mental thinking. That you may approve things that are what? Excellent. Isn't that interesting? What are you doing? You're looking at the deal. You look at that and you say, you know what? There's Rick. And he's a new believer. He's just coming in to understand the word rightly divided. And I know that if I take him over here to, maybe we shouldn't go over here to Chili's. Maybe we should just go over here to Red Robin. Oh, wait, there's a bar in Red Robin. Okay, so now where do we go? Let's go to J.B. Breweries. Oh, brewery, it's even in the name. Can't even go there, you know. So what do you, you can't go anywhere. Where were we at? uh, Chipotle. There's alcohol at Chipotle now. I'm like, what? I guess you got to have a margarita with the burrito. Okay, whatever. I'm like, gee, you can't get away. But what happens? Maybe we ought to just sit with Rick and let's discuss some things before we go out to eat. <laughs> you know, and we, but I've, what? You're bringing glory to God because what are you doing? You're thinking about Rick rather than just, hey, let's meet us over here at you know wherever. Come back over to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. Well, 2 uh, yeah. Corinthians 4. Just do this verse real quick. Verse 15. For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace, not, how much grace? Abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Isn't that interesting? Now, let me ask you something. Do you or can you add to the glory of God? No. He's God. He's got it. Okay? So this isn't about you adding something to him. He's already. So the glory of God here isn't something being added to him. It's rather when we, when we put on display that living life of him that attitude, the characteristics of his life on board, then what's going to happen? He's going to get the glory. Okay? Now, it's interesting, by the way, verse 15, for all things. The all things start in verse 7. For we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body. You see that persecutions and distresses and despair, all the details of life that just come up against us. If we do what? Come over here and live as who we are in Christ, in then what's going to happen? He's going to get the glory. Okay. Now come back to Romans 15. Romans 15. Because in Romans 15, guess what's going to pop up here? Verse 6, that ye may with one mind and one mouth, what? Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I glorify God? How do I do this? Verse 7, wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. So we have this issue here that Paul says, verse 1 Hey, guys, you, we, then that are strong, ought to what? Bear the infirmities of the weak. You're to look over there at, at the new believer, that weak-in-the-faith believer, and you're to forego your rights and your liberties and not make a demand. And when you do that, you know what you're going to do? You're going to glorify God. See? That's why he says, verse 2, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good, To what? To edification. You see, it's not about us, it's about them. And that attitude of sacrificial love, sacrificial action, that's that character of who Christ is, gets applied in the relationships that we have between and with each other. That's how God gets the glory. Because not only are you helping here one on one, but who else is watching? Everybody else. Other members of the body, the world, the angelic realm, the adversary. You're making that impact up into the Ephesians 3. You're, the whole bits. And they, what they see you do? They see you forego your rights so you can help someone grow. Now, the wor- hang on just a second. The world says that's weak. Scripture says no. That's giving God the glory. Yes, sir. Um, to a certain degree, the attitude of meekness and gentleness, sure. Yeah, but this is specifically to a, someone who's weak in the faith, so they're a believer. 14:1 Right. You can do that. Sure. You, can, you you we're we're Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. We we have we are to put on display the righteous character of the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. No matter who we come in contact with. So, yes, you can do that. The scripture here is dealing specifically with another believer. Yeah. But the the application of the of the spiritual doctrine, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and I've done that uh, uh, driving the school bus. It's Christmas time, so you know, they're all having parties. And I got invited over to a, a guy I rode a motorcycle with. His house, He goes, come on over at lunchtime. We're having a big party. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't think I'm going to go over there. So I, I had a, and a, so... And I didn't go, and it was a good thing I didn't because I guess it turned into be a bad deal. I knew the guy, but at the same time, I went to others just to go to to say, hey, I'm, you know, be a good neighbor type of thing. Which the outside world relationship is chapter 13, 8 to following. We're to, we're to, we're to owe no man anything but by what? Love, serve him, serve him. And that's the outside society, okay? Come over to Acts 18. Let me illustrate this um, here for you, um, Acts 18, and just, there's, there's a couple illustrations here that kind of pop up in, in Paul's dealings. Now, Acts is written by Luke, obviously, but you see something here. Acts 18, verse uh, 24, you have Apollos, and you have Aquila and Priscilla. Okay? Acts 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, so that's North Egypt, by the way, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now that's very interesting to me that he knows all this, but how far in the edification process is he? He's stuck on baptism of John, isn't he? He doesn't know any he doesn't know anything about the cross. He doesn't know anything moving forward past Matthew 3. I mean, you think about that. Now do we know people like that? Of yeah. Okay, now watch Aquila and Priscilla in verse 26. Apollos obviously has limited understanding, doesn't he? He's not caught on. He's not caught up through the earthly ministry of Christ. He's not caught up into, we're in Acts 18. So dispensationally, Paul's been on the scene for quite a while now, and he's not there. He's eloquent, mighty in the scripture. Man, he knows that Old Testament. He's given it to him. Okay? But he only goes to John's baptism, Matthew 3. Now why? And he began to speak boldly, verse 26, in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla, now, who are these guys? They love Paul. They're very aware, they're up to date. They're the tent makers. They're Paul's partners in business. They're up and running. They got, they, they are the strong believer here. But well, what did they do? Whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had, what? Heard. Isn't that interesting? They listened to him. They didn't interrupt him. They don't shut him down. They listened to him. They let him do his thing. Okay? He's all done. They what? They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You know what they did? They listened to him. They weren't rude. They didn't yell at him. They didn't call him names. They didn't interrupt. They didn't say, hey, you idiot, you're sinning, you know, any of that. Then they what? They took him unto him. They received him. They could have attacked. They could have shut him down in the moment. You don't know nothing. You you know, what about this and all that? They could have, but they didn't. They had a heart of compassion here. They, what? They took him. They received him unto themselves. See that? That's what, that's what Romans 15, is. What, that's what Paul's been talking about, Romans 14 and 15 here. Don't yell at, don't get them to doubtful disputations. Do what? Receive him. Let him get done. He's coming off the pulpit and, okay, hey, come over here, let's talk. Okay, now we know the rest of the history of Apollos, okay, which turned out to be a good thing. He became a worker with Paul and so forth at Corinth. Now come over to the book of Philemon. On your way, Romans 15, verse 7 again, just so you have that in your mind. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Of God. Another illustration of this is the book of Philemon. (coughs) The little book here, you know the story. Onesimus has wronged Philemon. Onesimus is the offender. Philemon is the offended. Okay? Onesimus goes off. By the way, three times here in the book of Philemon, Paul tells Philemon, the offended, the stronger, to receive Onesimus three times. That's when we're looking at this, okay? Onesimus runs into the apostle Paul in jail and gets saved. So what is now Onesimus? He is a brother in Christ, okay? So Paul goes, writes a letter, sends it with Onesimus to Philemon, and Paul says to Philemon, receive him. He doesn't say restore the relationship. He doesn't say fix the relationship. He says because of this new relationship that you now have with Onesimus, you are to receive him. Very interesting. I mean, we always say he's restoring the relationship. No, what was the relationship before Onesimus got saved between the two? Master slave, master servant, boss, employee. Now it's not. Now it's brother brother. So now we're going to, Paul, when you get saved, God wasn't trying to restore you back to himself. He's giving you something you don't have. It's called life. We have this quirky idea that he's restoring it. Ah, uh-uh, he's. Reconciliation isn't res- restoration, reconciliation is fixing the relationship. Well, how do I? How does God fix the relationship between you and Him and I? He has to give me something. It's called life, because I'm dead in trespasses and sins. Follow that. So Philemon, here, the issue, the language that Paul's going to use in the book here is far more glorious. Onesimus gets saved. He's now what? He's a new creature. He's a new man. Philemon. Paul says to Philemon, Onesimus is now your brother in Christ. So the issue now is not to patch up the old and to redo that. No, you are to receive him as who he is, a brother in Christ. Why? Because now there's a brand new relationship between the offended and the offender. And the the responsibility falls on Philemon to take the proper actions. Look at verse 12. Verse 11, whom in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now what? How is he profitable? Back there he wasn't. He was a sinner. But now he's profitable to thee and to me, Paul said. Why? Because he's a brother in Christ now. Verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore what? Receive him, that is, mine own bowels. Verse 15, for perhaps, I love this verse, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season. <laughs> Maybe the reason he left was because of this. In other words, it wasn't God's preordained road map that Onesimus do this. He, was, he had a deciding factor in it. Anyway, for a season that thou shouldest, what? Receive him for how long? Forever. Verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, Receive him as who? You see, what Paul's doing is Paul is bringing up in the, in the doctrinal edification edifice of Philemon, Romans 14 and 15. Saying, look, Onesimus is now a brother in Christ, and your job as the stronger is to embrace the weaker and to help them and to receive them. Not patch up the old. Do you know what Philemon should have done, or probably did do? It's not here. He probably went over and pulled the arrest papers and ripped them up. And the complaint, and ripped them up. That's why Onesimus was in jail to begin with. They caught him. Problem is, is who did he run into? Paul. <laughs> and then the Lord caught him. My point is, come back to Romans 15. Philemon is challenged to do what's Right? Onesimus is now part of the family, Philemon. Yes, he offended you. Yes, he did what he did, but because of this new relationship, you're to receive him. Verse 12, affectionately. Verse 15, eternally. Verse 17, meekly. That's yeah, just wonderful. And in Romans 15, that's the point here. How is God going to be glorified in all this? you receiving. You bear The infirmity of the weak. What's the infirmity? You give up your rights to exercise your rights or your liberty. Why? Not because you can't. Oh, man, we are so free. We're so rich. He's given us all things richly to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6 says. And yet, what can we do? We can look over and say, you know what? If I do that, it's going to hurt them. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let it be. Now watch verse 3. Moving along here. Because now Paul's going to bring up a great illustration, and he's going to do it by quoting Psalm 69.9. But I want you to catch what he's doing here. we got seven minutes. <laughs> For even Christ pleased, what? Not himself. So think about... We're living life as who we are, where? In Christ. How does Christ think about this? Well, first of all, Philippians 2, you don't have to go there, but 6 to 8, who is he? He thought he was equal with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But then what did he do? He humbled himself. Is he God? Yes. But come over to John 8, John chapter 8. But what did he do? He, in his earthly ministry, he didn't go around lording over the fact that he's God. Rather, he, he says, "I'm not." He's not out here. He didn't go around in his earthly existence pleasing himself. What did Paul say? Fifteen three, Jesus Christ pleased not himself. It wasn't about that. What was it about? His Father's will. Look at Romans eight. I'm, I'm sorry, John eight. Just real quick, verse twenty six. The, the Lord is speaking here. Verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak in the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of who. So who's who's he speaking? He's speaking the words of the Father, isn't he? Verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and, and that I do nothing of myself, but as My Father hath taught me, I speak those things. And He has set, sent me, and and He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Now watch, for I do always those things that please Him. Jesus Christ. In his earthly existence, suspended his rights and liberty and freedom as God. He doesn't give up who he is. He says, "I'm not going to exercise my godliness, my godhead ish. I don't know how you would say it. My godship." And I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do what the will of the Father says in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Gethsemane, sorry. One of the gardens. What does he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. If this cup, can pa- that cup of the wrath of indignation could pass, man, let it be. Come back to Romans 15. What pleased the Father when he did what? When he went to Calvary, he said, what? Not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to go. If Father, is there a way for this cup to pass? And before the father could even answer, you know what he says? Not my will, but thy will be done. He didn't even give the father a chance to say, hang on a minute, let me check. double check the, the book. He just, bam. So for you and I, what's going to please the father? Well, 15.3, for e- the the... the ultimate illustration of this is Christ at Calvary because he goes to Calvary again Philippians two five to eight, six to eight there, the mind in Christ. What's he do? He humbles himself, he became obedient under the death, even the death of the cross. When we receive the ones who are weak, the ones who come along and are become unlovely to us, ungodly toward us. They're having they're speaking evil of our good. And we take them and in willingly sacrifice for them our rights, our liberty. I mean, you think about Romans 5. You're in Romans, right? Oh, I didn't want to do this, but we're gonna go. Look at Romans five. Romans five, verse six. For when we were yet without strength. We were weak, weren't we? We We're without strength. Verse 6, 5, 6. In due time, Christ died for the. You're ungodly. Well, wait a minute. I'm a pretty good guy. He didn't say good guy, he says you're ungodly. Verse 8 But God commended his love toward us, and not while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if, when we were enemies. Isn't that interesting? When the weak is that way to us, ungodly, an enemy, what are we to do? 15.1, we're to receive him. Now, go back to 15.3 real quick here, because Paul's going to quote Psalm 69. By the way, you go to Psalm 69, you go to Psalms 31, and you know what you you learn about the Lord Jesus Christ? He was lied about. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was spit on. He was ultimately rejected. And he became a reproach. Now watch verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written. Now that's going to set up verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our what? Learning. Not our obedience, but our what? Learning. Learning. So Paul, in verse 3, is going to pull out the prime illustration. I gave you Apollos and Philemon. Paul uses Christ, and he says, Okay, guys, let's go back here and look at something that Christ did, as it is written, not fulfilling what was written. What did Christ do when he was suffering on the cross? What was his mental attitude? What was his thinking? What did he do? He possessed the same that you and I do, as we're being ridiculed. What what did he do? What did he do that allowed him to endure the shame of the cross? What did he do? He says, that the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. What is the, notice, the reproaches of them. Let's leave it in the context. Who would be the them? The weak. Fell on who? Thee. Who? Me, the stronger. See that? Leave it in the context, where it is. So when the reproaches of the weak fall on you, what are you going to do? I'm going to take a two-by-four to their head. No, what am I going to do? I'm going to bear it. I'm going to get through it. Okay? Fell on me. You see, we can learn from this parallel situation here. When we look at what Christ accomplished at Calvary, that selfless sacrifice of his liberty for a bunch of ungodly, no good, dirty, rotten sinners, enemies, and say, you know what? I can do the same thing. I can help them. I love that thing about fell on me. I was in the garage. Linda says we need more paper towels. So the stack with the paper towels is way in the back. So now I'm doing the, Spider-Man crawl across the top of everything. So I move a couple boxes, and I'm squeezing through to get. And you know what happens? I, I bumped up against another shelf, and the thing on the top did what? Fell on me. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. It just what? It just fell. And you know what I said? Praise God, hallelujah. <laughs> Not even, close. <laughs> I just picked it up and put it back up. Right? And when and then she's like, What are you grumbling about? I'm like, And then the next day I rolled the door up and I fixed it, so I'll never fall again. <laughs> you see that thing about fall on me? When something falls on you, that's not your fault. That's was it the fault of the of the Savior that he was at Calvary? No. He chose to be there. That's what he's talking about. Paul says, Let's learn something here. Jesus Christ, he took the brunt. He took it, and he did it for you when you're in your condition of weak, sinner, enemy, ungodly. And that is to live out in our lives as we now interact with others. Okay? Now, next time we'll get in verse 4, we'll look at the things about, again, whatsoever things were written for time, were written for our learning, not our obedience. Everybody thinks, "Well, I've got to run back to you know Matthew, Mark. No, it's there for us to learn, and we'll get all that next time. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks' interest in studying it and looking into it. And, Lord, I just hope that we would take the mental attitude that you had at Calvary and bring that into every day of our lives, of not I, but you. And we give you the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.